Cool. It's good to see you guys um, tonight. It's great to be able to hang out together. And yeah, we've been eating dinner each week for the last few weeks, which is awesome. Uh, so we're going to hang around and do that as well. We're actually finishing up this series tonight on the table. Um, and yeah, if you haven't been here, I'm just going to give you like a real brief kind of recap. And then we're kind of land the plane and finish up tonight. Uh, so what we've been saying basically is this idea that the table is actually to be in some ways a central symbol and even practice of Christianity that's kind of been lost. Um, kind of now it's almost like a stage is almost like the central symbol in some ways. Um, or we might say the cross, which obviously is very central as well. But in the early church, they met around a table. They ate and drank together. And in some ways, just a simple act of eating food together can grow us together as a community, as a family. We've already seen that in the last couple of weeks, which has been awesome. Um, but then we also talked about as we eat together, it's with joy and with celebration and with delight, not because everything's fixed or all the evil in the world's gone, but because God's kingdom is breaking and there is things to rejoice in and he's called us to joy and celebration. And then last week we talked about the table not only as in the church community, but as a way to um, go forward in mission and actually a place to welcome people to. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with people. He broke the boundaries of who you should eat with and who you should hang out with. And the early church did the same thing. And we can do that as well, a simple act of inviting people, practicing hospitality as mission. And we're finishing off tonight. If the first two... um, It's like a disco. (laughs) Maybe, could you guys put up the um, dimmer lights up a bit? Maybe it might be good. Um, Yeah, that'd be awesome. Cool. Um, if we like the first week was first couple of weeks were kind of around eating together as a family. Um, last week was about eating with, with the lost or people um, who don't know God yet. And this week, in a sense, is about eating with God, the, the more vertical sense. And still together, but emphasizing actually God desires communion. And what we're doing tonight is I kind of want to basically teach on communion. Um, that's what we call it here when we, we take um, the biscuit and the juice. Um, other churches call it lots of different things. Some people call it the Lord's Supper, um, the Eucharist, the Mass. There's all different names for this practice that Jesus left the church. And we're going to talk about that today and this idea of what is Jesus' desire in this and how can we understand this at a deeper level. Um, and to do that, we're going to mostly go through passage you might know, Luke 22, where Jesus has this last meal with his followers um, we've been looking at lots of meals that Jesus has. He's been eating with lots of people, especially in the Gospel of Luke. And then he gets, to, in a sense, almost this climax of this meal that's all been leading to the Last Supper, the meal he has with his followers, where he actually gives them this practice to remember his death. But before we get there, I want to give you, like, I'm going to do this super fast, like a brief like, history of the world or history of the Bible, like, and particularly around God's longing and God's intent for communion. So I'm going to use this word communion kind of different ways tonight. We're going to talk about communion, which we say like the Lord's Supper, which we're going to take later on, but also communion in actually communing together, in, in having this fellowship, this relationship. And actually that's God's desire. So I want to go right back to the start in creation. That actually before the cross before redemption, way back at the start, the start of the story starts with God, who in himself is one God, three persons, this eternal being in communion with himself. We actually believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are continually have always loved each other, 
people talk about the divine dance, continually giving over themselves to each other in this intimate relationship of love. So God doesn't make people because he needs relationship. God doesn't make people or create the world out of any lack. It's the overflow of this love, this communion relationship that he has in himself, that he creates the world in order to commune with them. And not only that, that, that people will also represent him on the earth and glorify him, but in a lot of ways, God's glory is, is that, this, this love, this loving being who has this community of love that he shares with the world. We see this right at the start. In Genesis 1, God's made all the different aspects of the world. Then he says, God said, let us, it's this idea of community, let us make mankind or humans in our image, in our likeness. So God makes humans to represent him on the earth and to rule. It talks about having dominion, to, to glorify him, but also to commune with him. God actually desires this intimate relationship where people know him and are welcomed into this love relationship that's been going on for all eternity. But we know the story, it doesn't last long and this communion is broken through sin. Interesting, we're talking about food and we're talking about a table, what went wrong was to do with food, right? Fruit, they ate from the tree, they wanted to be like God instead of trust him and depend on him, they were deceived and this communion is broken. But God's desire continues, and he's actually intent on communion through redemption. Redemption means this idea of breaking, um, bringing back or buying back. And actually, we see in God's desire to save is the desire for communion as well. And the story goes, God doesn't want to give up on the world. He creates a people out of Abraham to be his own people. This people grows, but eventually they go to Egypt, which is not bad to start with. It's good, but it goes bad. They end up in slavery. And they're stuck in bondage. They cry out to God and God sends Moses and he says this to Moses. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is his people, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So God's people are stuck in bondage. He's going to redeem them. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God's desire is to redeem his people from Egypt. And his desire is that they be his people and that he is their God. It's just to die. And, and then, then they, they get out and then they go into the wilderness and God gives them instructions about how to make a tabernacle so he can dwell with them. God wants to be with them. He wants to be in their midst. He wants to have communion. And relationship, there's a, there's a covenant, there's, there's terms that they need to follow in order to live in this relationship with this holy God. But again, it's broken. This communion that Israel has with God is broken by their unfaithfulness. They don't keep the covenant agreement. They go and worship other gods. Instead of communing in this intimate relationship with the one God, they neglect him. They neglect his way. They go and they forget him. And it's broken. And again, you'd think God would give up, but, but he continues and he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And in Jeremiah, it talks about that they've, they've forsaken him, even though he was their husband, but he's going to make a new covenant. He's going to make a way to have communion with the people. So that's like a real brief history, like where we're getting up to, where we are here now with Jesus and communion. 
So God sends his son to the world to, again, to represent him, to live out this communion, this close relationship. And we get to this meal now where we're going to read a bit of a longer passage from Luke 22. And I'll read and just kind of teach through this, but keep all that sort of background in the back of your mind as we go through. So this is Jesus when he's having the first communion or the first Lord's Supper. This is what he says. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the tables. They're sitting together at a table having a meal. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So they're eating a Passover meal, which is interesting because this meal reminds them and helps they participate, they remember and re-experience the time when God brought them out of Egypt. That was the Passover. And God gave them a meal to have each year to remember that he redeemed them, that he's their people to celebrate it. And now Jesus is eating this meal, this meal that's about redemption. And he says, it's going to be the last time I eat it. I'm not going to eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So again, he says, it's the last time I'm going to drink wine. With you, He's been waiting for this meal. He's been longing for this meal. He says, this is the last one until this is all fulfilled. And again, this is just a Passover meal. But they're, they're enjoying, they're sitting at table in intimate relationship. But then Jesus changes everything with his next words. He took the bread, part of the meal, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, this would have confused them. They would be surprised. Like, what is going on? Jesus takes this meal about redemption and he reorientates it around himself and say, this bread represents me, my body given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Again, God had promised a new covenant because it had been broken. And Jesus is saying, this new covenant is in my blood that's poured out for you. He's reorientating this meal around himself. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it's been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who will do this. So Jesus is sitting at this table eating with his followers, with his disciples, and one of them has prepared and, and is ready, has made arrangements to betray him. Again, this is a table, but there's evil at the table. There's, there's sin still. There's, this, there's these issues and brokenness in the world, and Jesus is aware that eventually and very soon he's going to suffer. He's going to be betrayed. But he knows that this is part of the plan. This is part of the story. It's interesting. That, remember, they're sitting at table. He's talking about himself the new covenant, giving his body. And you can imagine what the disciples might be like. They're thinking about the kingdom. There's this anticipation that, that Jesus is going to bring the kingdom now. And they're starting to talk about it and they almost like get ahead of themselves because then they say, a dispute also arose among them as to which one was to be considered the greatest. It says that they're wondering who's going to betray them and then it goes to who's going to be the greatest. And they're thinking about who's going to be first, who's going to have the most power, who's going to be in charge. And Jesus, again, redefines their understanding of the kingdom. He teaches them and he says, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
So people that normally know normal kings, you know, they just rule. They exercise authority over them, call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. Again, Jesus is redefining the table, the, the, the Passover around himself. Now he redefines the understanding of greatness in the kingdom. Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is hosting this meal and he's saying to them, look guys, I'm not the one sitting back and wanting you to serve me. I've come to serve you. Even in John's, in John's gospel, he talks about this account and nobody wanted to wash the disciples' feet. Their feet would be full of dirt and, and, and mud. They're wearing sandals. It's the lowest of the low job possible. They're thinking about being the greatest. And Jesus takes a towel. He kneels down and says, this is what greatness looks like. This is what it's like in my kingdom. And he loves them. He washes their feet and he serves them. And he's, he's redefining this around himself. Then he says to them, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. They've stuck with him. And I confer, that means like bestow or grant on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus says that they will have this kingdom and they will rule, but the rule will be through service. It's Jesus' type of rule and Jesus is the ultimate servant and he's about to serve them in the ultimate way by going to the cross. He's serving them at the table, but he's going to serve them by going to the cross in order that they may sit at his table forever. This is his desire. God's desire for communion is found in Jesus. His body is broken. His blood is shed. So we may have communion with Jesus at his table. The original intent was broken through sin. The original redemption was broken through sin. But then Jesus is broken. His blood is shed. So we can be forgiven. So that evil can be dealt with. Not, and it doesn't stop there. So that we can sit at table with God and have communion. That's his desire. That's his goal. And the cross leads to that. This is how one author says it. He describes this really well. The idea of the cross being the altar. An altar is where people would make sacrifice. And he sort of says sometimes we get stuck on the sacrifice. But the sacrifice is a means to the end of communion. This is what he says. The altar, the cross of Jesus Christ was a means to an end. It was the penultimate act. Penultimate is like second most ultimate act of God in order to bring about through atonement, dealing with sin, the ultimate intent of God, which is communion. The altar was an act of self-humiliation for the sake of the table. The altar, in terms of its goals, serves the table. The altar, by its atoning work, enables the table. Atonement secures communion. The cross grounds the table. In other words, Jesus goes to the cross so that he can welcome us to his table, so that we can sit and eat and drink with God forever in his kingdom. That's his desire. That's his heart. And he would let his body be broken and his blood poured out for that. 
And, and you think, that's crazy, but that's who he is. He's this God of self-giving love who gives of himself in creation and gives of himself in redemption. And in the cross, we see his love and see what he's like, that he would give of himself so that we may know him and be his people. That's what he's like. And that's what happens. They leave this meal. They go out. They pray. Judas betrays him. He's arrested. He's taken. He's unjustly tried. He's beaten. He's mocked, he's crucified, his body's broken, his blood is shed, he dies. And he's buried and his, and his followers flee. And there's confusion, there's silence, people don't know what's happening. But then we find a few days later, another time when Jesus is at a table. And there's these reports that Jesus has risen. And there's this story, again in Luke, so we're at Luke 22, there's this story in Luke 24 where Jesus is alive and he starts walking with two of his followers, but they don't know it's him. The reader knows it's him, but, but they don't know. That Jesus is hidden from them. And these two guys are walking and they start talking to this strange person and he starts asking about what's been going on and they start talking about how upset they are that they, because of everything Jesus has done and they hope that he'd be the Messiah and now they're confused. And this strange person starts teaching them from the Old Testament about the Messiah and how the Messiah had to suffer and, and that, that's part of the plan. And there's this strange like, thing going on because it's a strange person, but he's like, speaking these deep things into their heart. And then they get to a table. It says in Luke 24, when he was at table, this is Jesus, with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Again, does it sound familiar? This happened just in Luke 22. Jesus took bread, blessed, broke gave it to them, again in Luke 24. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Imagine how crazy that would be. He breaks the bread, they recognize Jesus is alive, and he's just gone. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It's this interesting parallel that Luke is making, that Jesus on the Last Supper, this, this meal, breaks the bread given for you. And then not long after, after he's risen again, when sitting at a table, he breaks the bread and he's revealed, and his presence is made known. And this goal that Jesus has of being able to sit at table with his followers is starting to be realized. It won't be fully realized until his kingdom comes, but there's this communion with the risen Jesus that these, these um, followers are experiencing. So this leads us all to, well, communion. We, we take communion every week here. We, we have this, this practice of the biscuit and the juice, or the bread and the wine, and, and we take it to remember, because Jesus said this in that, that passage, to do this in remembrance of him. And Christians for, since that time have done this. We, particularly, we looked at the early church, did this regularly. Um, they, they often ate for church. That's what church was, meeting and having the Lord's Supper and eating together and sharing at a table. And this has been practiced for a long time and it's been quite controversial as well. There's whole lots of different ideas and, and things. We're not going to get into that tonight. But, but the issue and the point is that this idea of communion with Jesus, 
He left us this meal to remember, but also to participate and commune with him and each other. This is how one author puts it, especially with that Luke 24 passage. Just as happened on the Emmaus Road, that's where they were walking, those two guys. So also today, Jesus' presence is known in the breaking of the bread. Jesus' presence historically has been uniquely real and recognizable around the table. A lot of people talk about, some of the guys I've been reading recently say, we get sort of hung up on what happens to the bread and the wine. There's so much debate and there's so many issues around that, but the issue is the table. It's, it's sitting at table, eating with Jesus and with each other. This is practice in, in 1 Corinthians, that they're eating together, and this is Paul talking about it. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. There's this, in this practice of, of communion, it's interesting, it's like looking at time differently almost. It's looking back and remembering Jesus' death, but it's also looking forward and remembering his return and eating with him in his kingdom. But it's also bringing those things into the present and actually being present to Jesus, the risen Jesus at table, actually having communion with him and each other in the present. And this is, this is what we're kind of going to look at and sort of explore a little bit more as we think through this. So this practice of communion is we eat and drink the meal Jesus gave us. As we do, we remember his death. We look back to the past. We look to his return, the future, and we recognize his presence with us today in the present. It's, it's, it's all. Sometimes we sort of just remember the past as just something that happened, but, it, but it's more than that. It's looking forward. And it's more than that. It's actually recognizing Jesus is present. And he's present in a special way around the table through breaking bread and drinking wine. So what we're going to do is think, just, just I want to think through just a few sort of, just comments on, on this, I suppose, and the significance of this. And, and then we're going to practice it a little bit differently tonight. So I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So when we take communion, this meal, and it's interesting, like that Jesus, we're talking about the table and we're talking about meals, that, that Jesus didn't primarily leave us with, with uh, an explanation of his death, also, but he left us with a meal to participate, to experience. The, the, the meaning is in the doing, in the practice. And as we do this, as we, we commune, we have communion, we commune with Jesus in, in, a, in a real way, his presence. When we take communion, when we sit at table, we're actually saying we are communing with the risen Jesus by his Holy Spirit which is why this is quite a significant practice. It's, it's not just remembering, but it's participating with him. And, and this goal and this desire of his heart for communion that he went to the cross for is realized now. Like if we believe Jesus now, we have his spirit, we, he, he dwells in us, and we are his people and he communes with us. And in a particular way, as we take communion, we acknowledge that, and we attend to that, and we focus on that in a special way. So as we do that, sometimes we can get too stuck on the seriousness of that, and we make it into a somber, very individualistic thing that we kind of just think about the weight of it. When, when that's good to a degree, but at the same time, Jesus was eating a meal. He was sitting around a table. They would be talking, they would be laughing, they would be sharing together. There's, there's a way to it, but there's also a joy to it, and there's a celebration to it. Sometimes we can get too stuck on the, on the individualistic, the, the, um, just sort of the somber, reverent part of it. 
But at the same time, we can go too far the other way and kind of treat it flippantly when this idea of actually communing with Jesus, there, there's, there's a seriousness about that. There, there's a reverence about that. Like, he, he is the Lord. He is God. He went to the cross for this. Like, this is, this is weighty and this is serious in a sense. And, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians and this idea of actually when we participate in this, we're participating, he says, in the, the, when we participate in the cup, it's like being united to Christ, to the blood of Christ or to the body of Christ. It's this communion. And when you're in close communion with someone else, there's in a sense a need for exclusivity. Like you, he's saying you can't just come to the table of Jesus and then go to the table of another God or go to the table of, of something else or sort of worship something else. Like, it's like actually if we're communing with Jesus, there is a sense of, well, he's my Lord and my God. And there is a sense of recommitment and acknowledging who he is and receiving his grace and his forgiveness. It's a table of grace. It's a table of mercy. But there also is this, this weight to it in realizing, well, well, Jesus has died for me and I, I want to align with him and, and follow him and enjoy him. And there's also this joy and delight. So as we do this, there is this communion with the risen Jesus. At the same time, though, we commune with one another. And again, we've kind of lost this in some ways. We often, because we, the way we practice it here, or we have, you might have like little um, cups sometimes, there's different ways to practice, but it's kind of become quite individualized and introspective. But originally, again, this was a meal. It was, it was sitting together. It was eating bread and wine, but it was eating other food as well over, over dinner. There was a sense of Jesus is present and we are present to each other and we are his body. And that's actually the, the thing to be present to. Again, in 1 Corinthians, there's these issues. People are having this dinner, but some of them are getting drunk. Some of the people who are poor are not getting enough food. There's all these like hierarchy. There's all these ethnic tensions. There's like all these issues. And Paul says, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. And this is, there's major issues. And he has major concerns with them. And the concern is they're not recognizing the body of Christ. And often we think of it as, well, they're not recognizing the bread. What he means is they're not recognizing the people who are the body of Christ. These people are being mistreated and they're Jesus' body. And there's this sense in, as we take, we attend to one another and actually realize we are the body of Christ. There's, in a sense, almost a reverence and a, and a joy and a significance of each other and caring for each other and serving each other and communing with each other and therefore a sense of even commitment to each other as well. So as we take this, it's about communion, presence with Jesus and with one another. And again, we, what we're trying to do is think, how do we make this practice the way that we've done it into more in line with what it was, which was this meal, this celebration, this joy, this desire of God that we sit at table and eat and drink with him. And what, we, what we're going to do is just try and practice this a little bit differently to, to not get too stuck on the individualistic somber, but to think about well, what would it be like to eat a meal together with God to share in his kingdom together. So what we're going to do tonight to respond is a little bit different, is I'm going to pray and finish the sermon in a sec, and we're going to sing the last song, and then I'm going to hop back up and just lead us in communion. And what we're going to do is, what we, the way we do it here at the night service is take the biscuit up the front from one of the sides, and we dip it in the juice, and then you can take it. What we're going to do tonight is, is say, let's just make this time a time of family, 
a time where you can chat to someone, you can say hi to someone, you can pray for someone. It's a time just to be together as if we're at a table, um, to be aware of Jesus' presence and attend to Jesus' presence. But as you do that, as we take it, we're just going to go straight into dinner from there. So you, when you're ready, you come, take, eat, talk, and then grab some food and sit down. And, and Jesus' presence continues with us. We're present to each other as we eat. And we actually go into a real meal, which is kind of really what this was originally. Um, so that's what we're going to do in, in a moment. We're going to sing, um, and then we're going to respond and, and sort of say, practice the table here, and then we'll go to eat together as well. So as, as we kind of finish... Realizing this idea of communion, God's desire for communion with us. And through his death, he's made this way for communion with each other. Again, the church is this, this, this group of people that have, all the barriers are broken down. We're one in Jesus because of his grace. And as you come to the table, it's not a table where we have to be like, oh, I have to get everything right. I have to fix all my life. It's not at all like that. We, we come in need we may, we may feel our need for God's grace and his presence and we receive his forgiveness and his life. But at the same time, there's this seriousness and, and maybe if there's unreconciled relationships or there's issues, maybe there's a time to deal with them and to respond to the Lord and respond to each other as well. So I'm going to pray. Uh, maybe if the band wants to hop back up. And we're just going to sing and worship and thank God. Um, and then we're going to sort of just transition communion into dinner as well. So Father, we just... Yeah, thank you so much. Lord, you, you're our God and you, you redefine our understanding of reality around your love. Um, that that you're, you desire communion, you desire intimacy and relationship with us that much that you would go to the cross, that you would suffer, that you would die. That, that though we had broken your commands and your covenant and where we sinned, Jesus, you would be broken in our place. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you meet with us tonight? Would you make us aware of your presence, Jesus? And would we participate in the communion you've made possible because of the cross? Um, and yeah, we just thank you and just offer ourselves to you as we worship you now, Lord. Amen.